Genesis 41 this evening, uh, nursery, you can leave, you, whoever's on nursery can take the young ones out, I think we forgot to mention that, so nursery can leave, <clears throat> and at Genesis 41, for the rest of us this evening, <clears throat> excuse me, Genesis 41, where we were this morning, and we're going to be looking at verse 50. Uh, this evening, Genesis 41, and beginning at verse 50, it says, And under Joseph were born two sons, before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said, He hath made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that, Lord, we have the privilege and the honour of coming and spending time around your word without fear of persecution, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your wonderful love, your grace, your mercy unto us. We thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. And we pray that this evening as we consider Joseph once more that you would teach us, that you would instruct us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would empower me uh, through the spirit this evening as only you can, give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. But Lord, you would meet us where each of us are at this evening, you would refresh us, you would bless us through your word, you would challenge us by your word this evening, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, of course, this morning we uh, concluded chapter 41. Uh, but there's one aspect here in chapter 41 that we sort of skipped over this morning, we didn't really talk about, and that is Joseph's family, his young family that he now has here in Egypt. Uh, in verse 45, we learn that uh, when Pharaoh exalted Joseph to being second in command, he also gave him a new name, and he gave him a wife. Uh, just turn there to verse 45, it says, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zathnath Paniah. And he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And so he was given a new name and he was given a wife by Pharaoh when he was exalted to this position. And if you like, this is all about um, making him an Egyptian, you know, naturalizing him, okay? making him so that he would be accepted in the eyes of the people, an Egyptian name and an Egyptian wife. The name that Pharaoh gives to him here is Zathnath Paneah. Now, the exact meaning of the name is uh, not certain. We can't say categorically that this is what it means. There's a lot of suggestions. Uh, for instance, Morris writes this It has been variously interpreted as abundance of life, savior of the world, revealer of secrets, God's word speaking life, furnisher of sustenance, and so on. The point is there is a lot of interpretations of this name. But you know, as you read all those names, you know, abundance of life, saviour of the world, revealer of secrets, God's word speaking life, furnisher of sustenance, one thing seems clear, and that is that the name was given to Joseph in recognition of what he had done. Okay? It was given to him in recognition of what God had done through him. And another interesting point about his new name is that it contains the little word nath, okay, zath, nath, paneah. That word nath there 
Now, the commentator Getz says this. He says, that word nath is the idea that God speaks and lives. Though in the, Egypt, in the minds of the Egyptian priests, this word referred to one of their gods, it really represents Pharaoh's best attempt at indicating that he believed and wanted others to believe that Joseph was no ordinary man. In his own pagan way, it seems he was trying to acknowledge Joseph's God who had helped him interpret his dreams. And so it's interesting, isn't it? Now, in his name is this phrase, this word, that means God speaks and lives. And yes, they applied it to one of their heathen pagan gods, but it's interesting that he gives that name to Joseph. He's trying to acknowledge that, you know, Joseph was speaking on behalf of God. He's speaking as God's man, a servant of God. And so it's, Joseph, it's Pharaoh's attempt to acknowledge this. And along with his new name, Joseph is also given a wife, as we read there in verse 45, it says, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zathnathpaneah, and he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. And so he's also given a wife. We're told her name is Asenath, and she's the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Now, the city of On uh, was apparently the center of worship for the Egyptian uh, god, uh, the sun god, Ra. Okay, and we've all heard of the Egyptian sun god, Ra. Okay, that was where the center of worship was. It was at this city of On. And so the priests of On, they were highly respected in Egypt. Okay, if you were considering all the different priests for all the different gods, these ones were right up there. Okay, they were highly regarded. Um, amongst the, the Egyptians um, in their religious, uh, pagan religious ideas. Okay? And so this marriage, this union, effectively joined Joseph with one of the most influential families in the land. Okay? Now he's been raised to second in command, and so Pharaoh says, well, you need a wife that matches that position. Okay? And so it's a marriage fitting of his position, that he marries Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar. And her name is interesting as well because if you notice, it also contains that word nath, doesn't it? Okay, it's that same word. Okay, it's there in her name as well, just like it was in Joseph's new name. And her name basically means dedicated to nath. Now, of course, as I said, nath was one of their pagan gods. But it's interesting, isn't it, that she is uh, chosen to be his wife, and she contains this name dedicated to Nath, dedicated to God who speaks and lives. And Joseph also has this phrase in his name as well. Now, the commentator Getz writes this together this couple not only represented the king of Egypt, but deity as well. And their names would constantly remind people of that fact. And so, together, you know, they, they represented God. You know, in a sense, when the people looked at Joseph and they looked at his name and his wife's name, they were reminded of what he had done, okay? That he was a servant of God, a man of God, okay? In their own pagan way, that's what Pharaoh's doing here, okay? Uh, he's acknowledging these things. You know, we look at this and we might wonder, you know, how on earth could a marriage like this ever work? You know, how could this marriage between the daughter of a pagan priest and Joseph, this wonderful man of God, how could this ever succeed? You know, she obviously had been brought up to worship false gods. And so how could it have been of any benefit to Joseph? You know, we can rest in the knowledge that God was in control, wasn't he? Okay. Um, you know, I read one commentator this week who said, 
you know, God's not going to raise Joseph to this wonderful position of second command only to laden him with a wife who would be a burden. You know, God's not going to do that to him. And indeed, from the, the biblical record, it seems pretty clear that Asenath was not a hindrance, but rather a blessing unto Joseph. And so what we can conclude and assume is that Asenath is a bit like Ruth, that she forsakes her pagan gods and she serves the one true God. She follows her husband in following the God of Israel, the one true living God. And I'm sure Joseph taught her all about the Lord, didn't he? Okay, and so we can make that assumption from the biblical record. There's nothing bad said about her and about their relationship, and so we can make that assumption. But in any case, Joseph, he now finds himself a full member of Egyptian society, doesn't he? Okay, he's been raised to second in command. He's been given a, a new name, an Egyptian name, that speaks of what he did and how God speaks through him. He's been given a wife fitting of his position, who evidently he loves and he takes care of. And it's not long before God now blesses Joseph with two sons. And we read of them here in verse 50. It says, And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asnath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bare unto him. So in verse 50, we learn that during the seven years of plenty, those first seven years, God blesses Joseph with two sons. And these two sons are where I want us to focus our attention this evening. Because you see, as we, we look at their names, we see that Joseph testifies here of all that God is doing in his heart and all that God has done in his life. He gives testimony to God with the naming of his children. And so consider with me, first of all, his son Manasseh, in verse 51. It says, And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me, to for made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. <clears throat> Joseph calls his firstborn son Manasseh. <clears throat> and the name literally means one who causes to forget. Yeah, that's what he calls his son, one who causes to forget. And Joseph himself gives us the explanation, doesn't he, as to why he gives his son this name. It says there at the end of verse 51, For God said he hath made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. And so this is the reason. He says, God has made me to forget. You know, this is a remarkable statement, isn't it? From someone who has been through so many hardships in his life, like Joseph, for him to now say, God has caused me to forget, is indeed an incredible statement. You know, Joseph went through more than any of us will ever experience in our own lifetime. He, ha he did. He went through way more than any of us will experience. And yet now as he looked back, he gives God the glory. He points to the Lord and he says, God has made me to forget. He speaks of the peace. He speaks of the peace that God has given him, and this is truly remarkable. You know, what exactly does it mean when Joseph says, God hath made me to forget? What exactly does he mean here? You know, it's obvious that he doesn't mean forget in the sense that he can't remember the toils, and he can't remember his father's house. Obviously, that's not how he's using the word forget here. You know, he still remembered his brother's uh, and their evil treatment, didn't he? He still remembered vividly how he went out looking for them and how they grabbed him and they tore his coat off him. 
he remembered vividly how they threw him into a pit and then they sat down and they ate their lunch while he was suffering and they argued about what to do with him, whether to kill him or not. He remembered vividly as they pulled him up out of the pit and as they sold him as a slave to the Midianite merchants. You know, he had not forgotten the evil treatment at the hand of his brothers, at the hand of his father's house. Those were still very vivid memories, just like he remembered serving in Potiphar's house, being a slave. And he remembered being accused of rape, being thrown into prison, put in shackles. He remembered the evil treatments. You see, he remembered all the trials, didn't he? He remembered all the afflictions that he had been through in the past 13 years. And so, obviously, when he says here, God hath made me to forget, he's not saying I can't remember it. And so what is he saying? Well, the idea is that God has enabled him to forget the bitterness of it all. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, God has enabled me to forget the bitterness of those times, of those trials, of my father's house. The commentator Wearsby writes this, Joseph didn't forget his family or the events that occurred, but he did forget the pain and suffering that they had caused. Likewise, Goetz, he writes this, that God had caused him to forget the pain associated with those events. The emotional sting was gone. He was not in bondage to past experiences. There was no lingering bitterness. God had healed his memories. You see, the point is, as Joseph now looked back on all those events, yes, he could remember the physical pain, the physical suffering. He remembered what happened. But as he looked back on those terrible events, he felt no bitterness. He felt no bitterness towards his brothers. He felt no bitterness towards Potiphar, towards Potiphar's wife, towards the prison guard, towards the butler. He felt no bitterness towards any of these people who had wronged him. You see, Joseph had learned to forgive. And he gives testimony to God. He says, God hath made me to forget all my toil and my father's house. He says, God has taught me to forgive and forget. God has enabled me to do this. You see, because he had forgotten the bitterness, because he had forgiven, it brought peace to his heart, didn't it? It brought peace to Joseph's life. And that's what he's giving testimony to here with this name, Manasseh. He's giving testimony to the peace that God had given him. You know, we might ask the question, how on earth can someone who's treated so terribly ever get to this place of forgiveness and forgetting the past? Well, Joseph's own words later in life help us understand, don't they? Turn over to Genesis chapter 50 with me. I'm sure we know this verse well, but Genesis 50 and verse 20, this is, of course, when his brothers are there later on. Joseph says this, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Joseph, as he's speaking to his brothers, he testifies of the fact that he understood God meant it all for good. So what's he testifying of there? He's testifying of the fact that God was in control through all of those events. He's testifying of God's sovereignty. God is over all. 
And so even though his brothers had meant it for evil, even though Potiphar's wife had meant it for evil, even though everything else that happened was done for evil reasons by man, God had used their actions for good. And so as he looked back over it all, Joseph saw the love and care of God, didn't he? That's what he's seeing. He's not seeing the hurt. He's not seeing the, the problems. He's seeing the love and care of God every step of the way. How God had used these events to move him to where he is today. You see, it was this understanding of God's love, God's care for him, that helped Joseph to now show love and forgiveness unto all those who wronged him. That's where it came from, because he had a right focus on the past, didn't he? He was looking at the goodness of God, the love of God, and God's care for him. And so he's able to forgive and forget. You know, beloved, if we are struggling to forgive someone of the wrongs that they have committed against us, then the first thing we need to do is remind ourselves of the goodness of God. Look back at God. Look at all that God has done for us. Look at all of God's goodness to you. Look at God's love. Look at God's forgiveness of you as a sinner and all that you've done towards Him. Because you see, if we start looking at it with that focus, we'll soon realize we have nothing to hold a grudge about, do we? We'll soon realize we need to forgive them just as God has forgiven us. And indeed, that's what Ephesians 4 talks about. Let's turn over there. Ephesians 4 tells us we are to show the same forgiveness unto others that Christ, that, that God has shown unto us. Ephesians 4. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 31. Ephesians 4, verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What's the motivation to forgive others? Looking at the forgiveness of God towards us. Understanding all that he's done for us, that motivates, that helps us to then forgive those around us, those who wrong us, those who've done terrible things to us. And it does happen, doesn't it? People offend us. People do wrong by us. But we have to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We're to show the same kind of forgiveness that God has shown towards us. And Isaiah 43 speaks about God's forgiveness. Let's just turn there. <clears throat> Isaiah 43 Excuse me. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. We read this. It says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. Isn't that a wonderful truth? When God forgives us, God forgets. God forgets. He will not remember the point is, God doesn't hold a grudge, does he? You know, God doesn't take our offense, our sin, and put it in a war chest so that the next time we offend him, he can pull it out and say, well, you've done it again. That's your third strike. And God doesn't hold grudges against us. When God forgives, God forgets. He forgets. It's in the past. And you see, this is the forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that we are to show unto others. This forgiveness where we forgive them and we forget. We don't hold a grudge. We don't bring it back up next time they offend us. 
It's not, you know, we forgive them and then three weeks later they offend us again and so we go, nah, that's it, you did it again last week and I'm not, doing it, I'm not forgiving you this time. It's not like that. We are to forgive and forget and move forward. That's the forgiveness of God and it's the forgiveness that we are to show as believers. As I said earlier, the truth is that when we keep our focus on all that God has done for us and all that God is doing for us daily, it becomes much easier to forgive others, doesn't it? Because we put it in the the right lights. We understand that, hey, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And if God can forgive me a sinner, I can forgive this person for their little offense. I can forgive them for what they've done to me. You see, it's when we get our eyes off the Lord and we get our eyes on the situation, when we focus on the hurt, we focus on that thing that someone's done, we become bitter, don't we? We become bitter towards them and it takes hold in our lives and we find ourselves refusing to forgive, refusing to forget. It's so terrible, I can't ever forgive you. And you know what happens? It just brings emotional turmoil into our lives, doesn't it? We find no peace. We find no happiness. We are miserable all the time. You know why? Because of that bitterness. That root of bitterness that we allowed into our lives that we won't forgive that person. We won't deal with it. And it's sin. We're the ones in sin because we won't forgive. And so we're miserable because we're holding on to that hurt. And beloved, it's because we've lost sight of God and His goodness, haven't we? We've lost sight of Him and we're focusing on that hurts. You know, think about Joseph. If Joseph, through all those years, had lost sight of God and was focused on the hurt, focused on the problem, he would have become very bitter, wouldn't he? Joseph would have come out of prison a man full of hate, full of bitterness towards his brothers. I mean, after all, they sold him into slavery. That's the, that's the worst of the worst, isn't it? You know, how can he forgive them? Well, he wasn't focusing on that, was he? He was focusing on the goodness of God. If he'd focused on the hurts, he would have come out angry at Potiphar, wouldn't he? Potiphar's wife for falsely accusing him. He would have been angry at the jailer for his treatment. Angry at the butler for forgetting him. You know, if Joseph had let that happen, bitterness would have consumed him. And we wouldn't read of this godly young man in the scriptures, would we? Bitterness would have destroyed his life. But you see, Joseph didn't let that happen. Joseph kept his eyes upon the Lord. He kept his eyes on the goodness of God towards him. He understood that God was sovereign. God was in control. And because of it, Joseph had a peace in his heart. God had taught him to forgive and forget. May we as believers learn the same. May we learn the same. May we learn to forgive and forget. Forgive and forget past wrongs. You see, only when we do that will we have peace in our hearts like Joseph. Only then will we be able to say like Joseph, God hath caused me to forget all my toil, all my afflictions, all my problems. God has caused me to do it. And God has given me peace in my heart. And beloved, if today we have some bitterness in our hearts towards someone, then we need to deal with it, don't we? We need to come before God and ask the Lord to help us to forgive. Just as He has forgiven us. And you know, that means forgiving even before that person ever says sorry. Doesn't it? 
Think about Joseph. His brothers have not apologised to him. Potiphar has not apologised to him. Potiphar's wife has not apologised. The jailer has not apologised. No one said sorry to him, and yet Joseph's forgiven. Because you see, forgiveness is not about waiting until they say sorry. Forgiveness is a decision we make. Where we decide that we're going to forgive them in love, and we're going to forget. And beloved, only then will we have peace. And that brings us to our second son this evening, Joseph's second son, Ephraim. In verse 52, it says, In the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, if the name Manasseh is looking back and saying God has caused me to forget, the name Ephraim is looking at the present and rejoicing in what God is doing now. You see, the name Ephraim comes from a root word that means to be fruitful or to be doubly fruitful. It's to be blessed. And as with Manasseh, Joseph gives us the reason for the name. He says, God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph is looking at his present situation and he's praising God. He looks at where he is and he says, God has blessed me. He's praising the Lord. You see, he realizes that God caused him to be fruitful. No one else had. It wasn't Pharaoh lifting him up out of prison. God had caused him to be fruitful. It wasn't Joseph and all his good works along the way, all the good things he did that made him fruitful. No, God had caused him to be fruitful. And he's giving glory to God here. He had so much to thank the Lord for, didn't he? You know, he'd just been lifted up out of prison, made second in command over all of Egypt. He's gone from rags to riches in one day. And on top of that, he now has a wife and he has two sons. He has a, a, has a, blessing, a blessing before him, doesn't he? He looks at his young family and he's praising God for what God has given him. He sees the goodness of the Lord in his present situation. God had made him to be fruitful. And he says at the end of the verse there, he says, in the land of my affliction. In the land of my affliction, this phrase, it demonstrates, as we said earlier, that he hadn't forgotten his afflictions. He still remembered them. Okay? He still knew all about them. You know, Egypt was to him the land of his affliction, wasn't it? This is where all that affliction had taken place, apart from the selling into slavery, but most of it had taken place here. This was the land of his affliction. He'd suffered great wrongs here over the last 13 years. And yet even here in the land of his affliction, God had caused him to be fruitful. And Joseph praises God. One commentator wrote this, he is thankful for present mercies. Egypt is the land of his affliction, but even here, God had made him fruitful and blessed him. He is thankful for the past with all its sorrow and awaits with cheerful hope the promised mercies of his God. And above all, he fails not to remember the divine source of all his good. You see, as he's looking back now on his life, as he looks at those trials, as he looks at those afflictions that he had been through, Joseph now could see the providence of God, couldn't he? He could see how God was using every step of the way, everything that happened, God was using it to bring him to this place. He could see God's hand using those things to make him fruitful. And Joseph rightly gives thanks unto the Lord. You know, as believers, 
Like Joseph, we have a lot to rejoice in, don't we? In the present. We have so much to rejoice in presently, today. Yes, we go through times of trial. Yes, we face afflictions. Yes, we are hurt by others at times. But nothing we go through, no matter what hurt comes our way, nothing can change our present situation. And what's that situation? Saved by grace. Nothing can change that. Now, we spoke about this on Wednesday night. Uh, if you were here or if you listened online in First Peter, we talked about the fact that as believers, we have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we have that joy, why? Because of our relationship with Christ. We are saved. And simply by considering our salvation each day, that's enough for us to rejoice, isn't it? That's enough for us to, like Joseph, say, the Lord hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Because, you know, this is the land of our affliction, isn't it? You know, this is not our home. We're, we're just passing through. This earth is indeed the land of our affliction. But no matter the trials, no matter the wrongs that we suffer, beloved, we have so much more to rejoice in by looking at the present and looking at the future. You know, to give, we have so much to give God the glory for. Our God is indeed good, isn't he? And every single day we experience his goodness. Isn't that what Jeremiah says in Lamentations? Just turn over there. Lamentations 3. <clears throat> Verses that I'm sure we know well. Lamentation 3 and verse 22. It says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God's mercies are new every morning. We experience this truth in our life every single day. We see his goodness. We see his love. We see his mercy. We see God's faithfulness every single day. Beloved, we have every reason to, like Joseph, rejoice in the presence. Rejoice that we are fruitful. God hath made us fruitful. And the other point is that like Joseph, we have every reason to rejoice. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, That does not rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. You know, Joseph is truly a wonderful example unto all of us. He learnt to forgive and to forget the wrongs of the past. And instead he focused on the present blessings of the Lord. And the result, God gave him peace and happiness. Beloved, may we all get to that place in our own lives. May we forgive and forget the wrongs of the past. And instead rejoice in the present blessings of our God. Forgive and forget and rejoice in the present. For our God is truly good. And he has made us to be fruitful. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this evening. And Lord, we thank you for Joseph once more and his godly example. Lord, a man who was wronged by so many people. And yet, Lord, now as he looked back, he could say that you had caused him to forget. To forgive and forget all those wrongs of the past. And Lord, he rejoiced in the present, the blessings that you had bestowed upon him. Lord, may you help us all 
to forgive those who wrong us, to forget those things, and help us to rejoice in the present. Rejoice in what you do for us each and every day. And Lord, may you help us to, with that knowledge, show love and grace unto others, to those around us. Lord, may you bless as we close and as we depart from this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.